so much, PIWC. Hallelujah. Today, by the grace of God, I have my wife with me. The only sugar in my tea. Hallelujah. Oh, clap for Jesus. I said he's the only sugar in my tea. The best woman in the whole universe. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I said hallelujah. Sweetheart. Happy to have you. Amen. Amen. Today, we are going to talk about generosity. Generosity, the way God intends for it to be. Amen. I want us to open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And uh, we'll read... Let us just read verse 9 to start with. Hallelujah. Oh, I said hallelujah. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Verse number 9. Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Hallelujah. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Hallelujah. I'm not going to collect your money. So just relax. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Later, I will, but not today. Amen. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, amen, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Hallelujah. The title of this short word of exhortation is generosity the gospel way? Generosity the gospel way. Amen. Father God, we just want to thank you. You have given me the secret responsibility this morning to speak to no one else but your people, no other group that you love than the people you have chosen. Pray in the name of Jesus, O God, that as your word cometh forth, Holy Spirit, you teach the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Beloved of God, I want to start by saying that the gospel's central functionality is to affect our lives. Amen. Amen. The New Testament, I believe, in fact, the whole of Scripture, I believe, is a massive project that God embarks on or that God seeks to use to ensure that whatever we do in our lives relates to Scripture, more especially the New Testament, when it comes to our practical Christian lives. I believe that Jesus' example 
and the letters, the things that we see or read in the New Testament is practical enough to relate to our lives. Praise the Lord. The gospel teaches us who Jesus is, why he came to our lives, what he has done for us. It also teaches us how that gospel should work in our lives. What it means to be in Christ Jesus, what it means to really understand or what it means to really know who this Christ Jesus is and what he did for us. So when you critically look through the New Testament, or let me say the Bible in general, but specifically through the New Testament, you'll see examples upon examples of how the stories we read, the, the, the intimations we have, the messages we receive, it is interesting to see in the New Testament how they relate and apply to our lives. This morning, I want you to be patient with me as I cite a few examples as a way to segue into generosity, the gospel way. There are three basic ways to motivate people to change when it comes to their lives. Number one is the guilt way. I want you to write it down. The guilt way. And number two is the pride way. And number three, which is lasting, which is durable, which works permanently, is the gospel way. Hallelujah. Let me repeat that. Because the gospel relates to our lives, we need to be able to garner from the gospel, from the message of Christ, from the scripture, we need to be able to lift the things that apply to our lives and specifically place them upon our lives to ensure that what we do is in tandem with what the Bible says. And there are three ways to make, if anybody is going down the wrong path, there are always three ways to instruct them, to help them turn from their wrong path to the, to the paths of righteousness. And there's number one, not paths of righteousness, but turn them around to the paths that is good for them. Number one is a guilt way. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody comes to me. I like to use the men as an example because then I stay away from trouble all the time. Let's say a woman comes to me and says that, Pastor, my husband is not doing the things he's supposed to do as a Christian in the home. My husband is having so many problems that he needs help. There are three ways to approach helping him. Number one is the guilt way. And the guilt way goes like this. Kwejo, you made a promise that you love your wife no matter what. You stood in front of everyone and declared that you love your wife and you will be an example in the home. You have failed terribly. So 
I believe that from right now going forward, you need to turn around and do the right thing. Place guilt upon his head and hope that because you make him feel guilty, he will turn around. There is a pride way also to do this. I can't believe that you come to church all the time dressed nicely. I can't believe that when people see you, they think you have it all together. But your own marriage, you can't handle it. Come on, man. You got to do better. You're too proud for that. You're too big for that. Marriage should not bring you down like that. Go and make it right. There is a pride way of doing that. But also, there is the biblical way of helping him. The biblical way of helping him will be something like this. You know, when you read Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says that husbands should love their wives. And the Bible compares the marriage in the home with the church. The Bible says that you, the husband, you're supposed to love your wife unconditionally because Christ loved the church unconditionally. So when you love your wife and you treat her well, you are emulating Christ which is in you. That has a different tone. Hallelujah. Oh, I said hallelujah. So there are three ways to make people do certain things. Guilt way, pride way, or the biblical way. I just want you to just stick with me for a moment. Just be patient. So this is using the gospel to try to correct someone who is having marital problems. You can have the same way, go through the same means when the issue, the person at hand is the woman. You can use these three ways. But as you can see, the best and most durable solution, beloved of God, is the gospel way. Hallelujah. How does the scripture also infiltrate the freedoms of our lives? Look at Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. So we are talking about freedom. Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Just stick with me. Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I can't wait the day that we have to get rid of our masks and be free again. Amen. One of the difficult things to do is to preach in a mask. Hallelujah. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive. Don't let other people trap you. Don't let other people control you. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, said, guys, when you are a Christian, make sure that the gospel, you understand the gospel enough to know that you are free. Hallelujah. Just stick with me. Make sure no one forces you, 
traps you, controls you to do anything. Make sure that no one lays any burden on you. You are a free man of God, woman of God. Hallelujah. So, beloved of God, when you understand that the Spirit of God lives in you as the Bible declares, and you understand who you are in Christ, then you would know that wherever you are, no one should able to coerce you, force you to do anything. The Bible says, see to it that no one makes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So then how do you get hold of this liberty and this freedom and live your life? We're talking about guilt way. We're talking about the pride way. We're talking about the gospel way of doing things. How do you enact or utilize the freedom that you have? Verse 9 in Colossians 2, the Bible says that, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Christ lives in you. So, in other words, when you become a Christian, you enter into this Christian freedom which only Christ gives you. It's biblical. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. No one should coerce anybody into doing things by force. Praise the Lord. Because it is biblical. Hallelujah. Let us look at forgiveness also. Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. If somebody has a forgiveness issue, you can talk to the person using the guilt way or the the, the, the the pride way or the gospel way. The gospel way says that when you're having an issue with someone who cannot forgive, let them understand this scripture. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I can't believe you can't forgive this person. It's easy. Just let go. That won't work. Christ, because of the work on the cross, Christ made it so that God forgave us. So if Christ lives in us, then presiding, then we need to be able to forgive one another. That is the gospel way. Amen. Hallelujah. Stick with me. This will all tie in very shortly. This example is the one that blows my mind. When Paul wanted to talk to the people of God, Concerning looking out of the, to the interests of one another. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, the Bible says, Each of you need to look out not for your own interest, but to the interest of others. Amen. And when Paul was trying to explain this to the church, to make sure that they look to the interests of one another, love one another, they care for one another. Paul did not use the guilt way. He did not use the pride way. But he used the gospel way. And Paul goes ahead and talks about the exaltation and the diminishing of Christ. 
in that scripture, Bible says, verse chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 4 says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is all that Paul wanted to communicate to the church in Philippi. Look to the interests of others. And then he went into this whole spin. In verse 5 he says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Beloved of God, he continued, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul goes on, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of the mention of the name Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue shall confess in heavens and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All Paul wanted to tell them was that guys look to the interest of others. And he went through this, this great scripture, this great example of Christ, just to communicate to the people that look to the interest of others. others. He went through the humiliation of Christ, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, just to tell us that care for one another. So there is always the guilt way. There is always the pride way. And there's always the most durable way, which is the gospel way to get people to change. When somebody is in sin, there is no point laying the hammer that you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. When you use the gospel way, the Spirit of God will follow his own words and convict the person. Why am I saying all this? Many of us, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, many of us give by the guilt way or by the pride way. But the best way to be generous is to understand the example of Christ. Know that you have your freedom because Christ, has, Christ dwells on the inside of you. He has given you the freedom. Bible says in Colossians that don't let anybody force you. Hallelujah. So let us go to money. Using this concept that we've talked about. How does Paul take the gospel way and apply it to the areas of generosity? In the scripture we read, Paul was raising money to bring relief to Christians in Jerusalem who were having hard times. Amen. Amen. Now I want us to read 2 Corinthians 8, 10 through 11, 10 through 12. Let us put it up and let's all read it together. 2 Corinthians 8, 10 through 12. Let's go. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter, let's go. Let's start again. Go. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, 
you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Speaking to the church in Corinth. 11 says, let's go. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Look at 12. Go. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Amen. Oh, I said amen. So Paul is saying that last year you gave. Last year there was no problem. Last year there was no pandemic. Last year the economy was good. So you gave. The Paul is noticing that the giving of the church in Corinth, this particular year that he needed them to give, the giving had gone down. So the way he tackled the problem was not the guilt way was not the pride way, but the gospel way. That is why he wrote in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul said, Last year, what happened to you? Last year, you gave. Oh, okay, this year, it's hard because of the pandemic. This year, it's hard because people have lost their jobs. This year, it's hard because the commitment has quadrupled. Paul said, nevertheless, church, remember, remember, don't be coerced, don't be forced. I'm not using the guilt way to make you give. I'm not giving, using the pride way to make you give, but I'm using the gospel way to let you know that understand that Jesus' grace upon your life is sufficient. Understand that he became poor so that you through his poverty would become rich. Paul is saying that grace that he lavished upon you in spite of the fact that you had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is saying that that grace that he generously showered to you, to the least of us, even the least amongst us, has the tank to receive the proceeds of the grace of God. Paul said that that grace woke you up, beloved of God. That grace gave you the privilege to be able to show up in the house of the Lord. And for those watching from home, that grace did wake you up. Paul is saying that grace covers a multitude of sin. Paul is saying it is because of that grace that God himself gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. It's because of that grace that you look amazing and you have your breath and have the means to operate. And God did that because he just wanted to do it. So Paul is saying that the central focus on your giving is to remember that the grace of God was sufficient for you. Remember that God gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus, Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He gave him to us. So Paul is saying that even in the difficult times, remember 
that if Christ lives in you, then Christ's character of giving should well up in your soul and in your spirit. Say amen. amen. So Christ's gospel-like giving is marked by freedom and joy. Once you understand what Christ has done for you, you will not be reluctant. You will not be compelled, but then you will not be reluctant if you have the understanding of who Christ is and what he has done for you. Paul tried to bring the people's mind away from guilt and pride to let them know that when Christ is in you and you know what he has done for you, you will give. And many times, I myself, I have given because there was so much who is coming and who is coming and who is coming and you're sitting there and you feel this big guilt and burden. It is not biblical giving. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I hope I don't get into trouble. Biblical giving is to know who Christ is, that Christ is in you and by faith enact that, that emulates Christ's spirit of generosity not to coerce anybody in fact when you read that scripture Paul in verse 8 let's read verse 8 of 2nd Corinthians let's read the verse 8 of 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 you see the first statement let's go together I am not say it again I am not commanding you but I want to test your sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. This is the apostle. The apostle could command and the people will follow. This is the apostle. But he says that when it comes to biblical giving, I am not commanding you. But I want you, I want to test the sincerity of your love. Beloved of God, God loves us so much. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor that God loves you. Say it again. God loves you. So Paul is attacking this big burden with a church in Corinth who gave some time back but they're going through some problems and they're not able to give. And the way he attacks it is to let them know that they should have the freedom of Christ is to let them know that it is really Christ who they are emulating when they give. He's saying that I'm not commanding you, but you know the need and you know the abilities of the church. Paul is saying, don't feel guilty, but let this Christ who lives and dwells on the inside of you, let him convict some spirit on the inside of you so that you can emulate his example of giving. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, I said hallelujah. Amen. Nobody forced Jesus to descend to die for us. He did it willingly. He did it out of freedom and out of love and out of grace. That is how our giving should be. Hallelujah. Nobody is placing any guilt. P.I.W. said, listen to me. Nobody is placing any guilt on your head. Nobody will coerce you in a pride way to give. 
But then we will encourage you that you look up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The one who, because of grace, showered his grace so much upon us that we are who we are. We are going to raise funds to buy our building. Let Jesus Christ, who lives, you see, when you study the New Testament giving more, you notice I'm not talking about tithe here. When you study the New Testament giving so much, you begin to understand those who really truly grasp the mystery of giving the gospel way, 10% is not even enough for them. Hallelujah. Those who understand it. Praise the Lord. Oh, I said praise the Lord. But those who don't understand the mystery, who don't understand, who don't really not care, but they don't, their minds or their eyes of understanding have not opened yet to the love that Christ has for them. It's difficult for them to give because giving relates so directly to your understanding of who Christ is in your life. Hallelujah. So when we sit there and said, is somebody coming? Oh, is it somebody coming? This I, when I was coming, they said, this part of America, you guys understand giving so much. From some of the places I've been to, are you coming? Is, is somebody coming? You know, and then you sit there and guilt and shame, and you are so, and most people are coming. I will tell you that I myself, before I became a full-time minister of the church, I myself many times had given out of guilt, out of compulsion. But it should not be like that. When you are called upon to contribute for this great project that is ahead of us, do it freely. Do it freely. Because there is one who lives in you who took that first initiative and showed that example of giving. The father himself gave his son. And the son propitiated that giving by he himself laying down his life. And when he resurrected, the giving did not cease. He also gave us the spirit of God. And the spirit of God who is with us compels us and encourages us to do the right thing. May the Lord bless you. Amen. May the Lord keep you. Amen. This morning, we are going to take a communion. As we slowly rise on our feet. And this morning's communion, I want you to think. I want you to pause for a minute. And think about this Jesus who showed us this example of giving. The father gave the son and the son gave the spirit. He did it joyously, out of freedom, without compulsion, 
many blessings in the month of March, oh God. I pronounce it, oh God, unto your people upon them, wherever they are, anyone going through pain, anyone going through any calamities, oh God, anyone going through any kind of atrocities, oh God, may your blood turn around. Jehovah, give them the freedom they need in the mighty name of Jesus. Any soul that is wounded, oh God, by virtue of the blood, I pray, oh God, that you bind that broken hearted, that broken souls, oh God, and heal them, minister to them personally in the name of Jesus. You know your people, oh God. Father God, may their needs, oh God, be met. May they not live here the same in the name of Jesus. Thank you in Jesus' name. And the church say amen. 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 Shall we observe the following announcements, please?